I was a little bit concerned on my way here this morning because as I looked in the rearview mirror when I turned from uh, Ina North onto Oracle, uh, that there was a, a motorcycle cop in my rearview mirror with the lights going. So uh, I pulled over. I said, well, I guess I'm not supposed to go when I turn all the way across to the other side. So good night. He's going to get me for that. And um, so he comes up to Deborah's side of the car, and I roll down the window, and he said, uh, ma'am, did you have your seatbelt on? And um, we have always had our seatbelts on. When the kids were little, we didn't put the car into drive until all the seatbelts were on. So I knew that her seatbelt was on, but he thought that she put it on after I saw him in my rearview mirror. So uh, he didn't believe us. And, uh, and uh, you know, and he says, so were you in the Marines or, or someone else? I said, no, I was in the Navy for 26 years, but my son is in the Marines. He said, oh, I did 13 years in the Marines, but that was good enough for me. And so we chatted for a while, and and uh, it came out that I was on my way to a church, and I was going to be the preacher. And he says, well, share with the folks. He says, yesterday I stopped and gave tickets to 54 people for not having their seatbelt on. Share with them, preacher, to keep their seatbelts on. Thank you, officer. <laughs> No, no, no ticket. Uh, um, if you would turn with me to uh, John, John chapter 11. And uh, let me give you a little bit of the context. Just before uh, John chapter 11, Jesus had been walking in the temple. And uh, he was giving a discourse. And the very end of that discourse is John 10, verse 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus uh, made his way through the crowd. They did not stone him. And he went across the Jordan to the other side, to the place where John the Baptist had been baptizing in the very beginning. That is the uh, immediate context to this passage. So if you follow with me, John 11, verses 1 through 16, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? 
Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, your word is a precious treasure to us, your children. It is rich with wisdom and knowledge, grace and love. We pray that your Holy Spirit would take your word and speak it to our minds and hearts. We pray that you would open our minds and hearts to receive what you have for each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Severe sickness uh, greatly disrupts a family and may bring great sadness and suffering. Uh, Unfortunately, we experienced this personally when Deborah became sick years ago and didn't get better. And we thought it was a severe cold, but uh, she didn't get better. And so finally, after several days at home, uh, we, we took her in to the doctor, and uh, he looked at her and immediately admitted her to the hospital with pneumonia. And she was she's taken to her room. Uh, the doctor did the x-ray and said, you have a very severe case. Uh, you almost died. And uh, that was, yeah. <laughs> If only husbands would listen. (laughs) That was very scary. Deborah was in the hospital for five days, uh, eventually recovered. (laughs) But sickness um, uh, can really disrupt the family. Uh, Physically, emotionally, suddenly your attention is taken off of everything else. And how is my loved one? Uh, What's going to happen to them? And that's the case we find uh, Mary and Martha in in this passage. Their brother, Lazarus, has gotten very sick. So sick that the only one they know to reach out to is Jesus. And somehow they know where he is and they send a messenger to Jesus to ask him. They don't even ask him directly. It's kind of indirectly. They just tell him that the one you love is sick. Praying that he would know what to do. And it's, it's interesting. Let me begin first by introducing, as John does, who the players are here. Um, he says that this is the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. 
And he says, this is the same Mary that you heard of before that anointed Jesus and then wiped his feet with her hair. Now remember, John wrote his gospel years after the Lord had died. He was the last gospel writer of the four. It's been many years. The stories, the gospel stories, and the other gospels have been circulating for years. And so all John has to do to introduce the characters is to mention, this is the same Mary that anointed Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And everybody would say, oh, okay, we know now. Because actually, John doesn't share that story until the next chapter in his gospel in John 12. Uh, But he wants to remind everybody who, who we're talking about here. So this is that same Mary and her sister Martha, whose brother Lazarus is sick. And they send the word to Jesus. And this is where it gets really difficult and frustrating. And I think it's something that we can relate to. Because Jesus has this messenger come up to him and say, "Um, Lord, the one you love is sick. And he says, if you look at verse 4, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And so if you've ever had anyone sick in your family or someone close to you that was sick, again, what it does is it... it, It changes your focus, your priorities, and things that were important before aren't important. And what's going to happen to my loved one? And so the messenger takes this word from Jesus. Oh, this sickness, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God. And he goes back to the sisters to give them this message. And their brother dies. And Jesus doesn't come. How can that be? Who else could they turn to? And and John makes a point of saying, Jesus loves them. And yet, Lazarus dies. Jesus said he wasn't going to die. He's not going to die. This is going to be for the glory of God. But he did die. And not only that, where are you, Jesus? You didn't come. I just love how the scripture is real. Because how many times have we said to the Lord, Lord, why me? Why them? And why don't you do anything? And why don't you come? Why don't you help? And we know, those who are Christians, that everything works out to good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. We know that in our minds. But right now in our hearts, we don't feel it. (laughs) Where are you? Lord, we have nobody else to call out to. We call out to you and you say one thing and something else happened. So... Lazarus dies, 
and Jesus doesn't come. Then in verse 7, Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in, in him. So here we have Jesus again. When asked a simple, straightforward question, he goes off into this little aside. You know, they're just asking him a, a straightforward question. Are you sure you want to go back there? They just about picked up stones and stones. They did pick up stones. They were just about to stone you. And you want to go back there? Well, you know, are there not 12 hours in the day? Yes, Lord. <laughs> okay. And and this thing about walking in the day and walking in the night reminds us of Nicodemus. You know, he comes to the Lord at night and he wants to know what's going on. And in another place, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And in the very beginning of this gospel, it talks about, as a matter of fact, I'd like to turn there. If you would turn there with me, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, starting with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light and darkness is a strong theme throughout the Gospel of John. And here it appears again. And Jesus is trying to get through to them. There are two worlds here. There's the one that you see, and there's the one that you don't see. And I'm trying to get across to you that it's the one that you don't see that's the most important. It's that spiritual world that God works in. God is spirit. He desires worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. It's a world that you don't see, but is more alive and more real than this one that you see. He's trying to take them deeper in their relationship with God and their understanding of God. And so there's the, there's the disciples again scratching their heads and shaking their heads. What in the world is he talking about? I mean, the immediate threat is, they're not really thinking about Lazarus. The immediate threat is, Jesus is going back to Judea where they wanted to stone him. And they're being asked to go with him. He chose them to follow him. They didn't choose him. He chose them. And he didn't, we didn't choose Jesus. He chose us. And he's asking us to follow him. Even though it seems like we're going into dangerous territory. Where am I headed? How is this going to end up? What's going to happen to me? Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, 
Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. So sleep is a metaphor for death. Uh, is common throughout the Scripture. We see it in a number of different places. But the disciples don't get it. And there's Jesus again speaking in such a way that's confusing to them. He's relating again this, this deeper reality that's going on. He calls it sleep because that's what it is to Him. It's just sleep. When you awaken... You awaken into a new world. When we die, those who are in Christ awaken into a new world with a new body. So Jesus uses this metaphor of sleep. And again, the disciples don't get it. And I'm not sure many of us get it either. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. That word recover is the same word used for being saved. Here's the, uh, the irony that happens in Scripture so many times. People say things and they don't realize what they're saying. Caiaphas said, later in this chapter we'll be looking at in a few weeks, Caiaphas said that, uh, one, you are so stupid. You're all concerned about everybody following Jesus and the whole world going after him. And that the Romans will turn on us and and they'll squash us out. You're, You're so stupid. Only one man need die. And so he was talking about the death of Christ on behalf of the nation. And he didn't realize it, but the Holy Spirit was speaking through him telling of the death of Christ on behalf of the nation, the people. And so uh, here again we have in this word, Lord, he will recover an, an ironic twist because it's the word for being saved. And yes, they're about to find out that Lazarus will be saved. He'll be saved from death, but he'll be saved in that he comes Each one of us who are in the Lord come into a new relationship with this creation. We are alive eternally in Christ. Verse 14, Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. See, yet another element of what Jesus is seeking to accomplish in the lives of his disciples is that he's doing all of these things so that they may believe. And John makes these asides throughout his gospel that the the apostles, the disciples, remember what Jesus said and did, and they believed. They believed that He was the Son of God. They believed He was the Christ, the Messiah, the One coming into the world. They believed. And that was one of the purposes that Jesus had in this mission. Let us go to Him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go 
that we may die with him. See, they, they still don't see the bigger picture. They, they see this as a temporal situation, something connected with this world. Jesus, for some reason, is risking his life and theirs, and theirs, and they're not excited about that, to go back and wake up a sleeping man. This doesn't make sense. And how often does God ask us to do things that don't make sense? You know, when the world looks at us Christians and it sees that, it says, you Christians are foolish. You're not trusting, you're not trusting in a, a belief, a religion that uses your mind. It doesn't make sense. And yet you're blindly stumbling forward. That's stupid. We believe in science because we understand it. And it's something that we have control over. Our mind doesn't become alive until we know Christ. We don't truly understand His grand redemptive plan and how His creation fits into that, our role in this world, until we come to know Christ as our Savior. That's when our mind is quickened and we have understanding but it's all as seen in a mirror dimly at this point. And uh, here's Thomas reflecting what so many of us do. And that is an outlook that is temporal. All right, he's determined. You can just see it in the set of his jaw, guys. Jesus is going back to Judea. So let's us go to and die with him. And here's another ironic twist in Scripture. Because that is what Jesus is asking His disciples to do. That is what He's asking each one of us to do. To die with Him. To go forward. And it may end up in our death. But Luke 9.23 says, if we deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow Him, that's how we act out our discipleship. That's how we follow Him is we die daily to ourselves. And so, yes, Thomas unknowingly says, let us go die with him. That's what Christ is calling them to do every day. Follow me. Die to your old self. Die to your own wishes and wants and desires. Face this danger that's coming, looming before you. Because in the end, you will receive the gift of eternal life. And even, we'll find out next week, and even in this life, you will experience an abundant, rich life before, greater than the one that you knew before coming to know me. Sickness is an awful thing. Sickness that's severe with the prospect of death is even more awful. I work in a hospital I uh, have come into contact with family members who have seen their loved ones and they're on ventilators and they don't know if they're going to make it or not. I've prayed with many families. I have uh, watched sometimes people die and sometimes they revive. But it's not about just what happens in this life. It's not about whether you live or die. In, in this life, just your physical body continuing on or stopping, 
Jesus is trying to reveal to us that there is a deeper reality than just this world that we see. And He understands it. And He knows what's happening. And He wants us to follow Him. And four times in this brief section of Scripture, the message doesn't seem clear. It doesn't make sense. Jesus says He's not going to die. And He dies. Jesus loves them, but He stays two days where He's at. Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. But they just tried to stone you. But Jesus says, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission from my Father who sent me into this world. It's to do His will, and I'm going to accomplish it. Accomplish it, even though it leads to my death. Because in my death and resurrection, you will die to your sinful self and be raised to new life in Christ. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we don't begin to appreciate the gift that you've given us in Christ, the gift of new life, of eternal life, of richness and mercy and grace. Please help us to understand. Please give us understanding. Uh, and help us to follow you, even when it doesn't make sense. Lord, you know what you're doing, uh, and you know what's best for us and for those around us. So help us, Lord, to follow you by faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.